Welcome to the Daily Stoic Podcast, where each weekday we bring you a meditation inspired by the ancient Stoics, a short passage of ancient wisdom designed to help you find strength and insight here in everyday life. And on Wednesdays, we talk to some of our fellow students of ancient philosophy, well-known and obscure, fascinating and powerful. With them, we discuss the strategies and habits that have helped them become who they are and also to find peace and wisdom in their actual lives. But first, we've got a quick message from one of our sponsors. The Daily Stoic is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. One of the cool things about podcasts is that you can multitask while you're listening, but depending on what you're doing right now, like for instance, if you're not in some kind of moving vehicle, there's something else you could be doing. You could be getting an auto quote from Progressive Insurance. It's easy and you could save money by doing it right from your phone. Drivers who save by switching to Progressive save nearly $700 on average and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts, discounts for having multiple vehicles on your policy, being a homeowner and more. So just like your favorite podcast, Progressive will be with you 24-7, 365 days a year. So you're protected no matter what. Multitask right now. Quote your car insurance at Progressive.com to join over 29 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $698 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. It's not much, but it's enough. How long has it been now since you first heard of this philosophy? Few months? Few years? Few decades? Of course, it seemed hard to you when you first discovered it, because sadly, like the rest of us, you were not magically instantly transformed. Indeed, However major the epiphanies you've had on your journey, like the rest of us, you still seem to have your flaws. You still lose your temper, still yearn for this or that, still complain about this boss or that coworker. On some days, it can feel like you're failing. But is that really failure? No. Remember, Seneca said that Stoicism was about acquiring one thing a day. That's it. Marcus Aurelius said it was building your character action by action. Zeno said that well-being was realized by small steps. It's not glamorous, but with time and energy, we make progress. Longfellow, in his beautiful psalm of life, puts it perfectly. Not enjoyment and not sorrow is our destined end or way, but to act that each tomorrow find us farther than today. One foot in front of the other, one page after another, one email after the next. We're getting better as we go. We're not perfect. We're never going to be. But are we better than we were yesterday? Are we farther down the path of self-improvement, of virtue? That is what counts. A couple years ago, I got an email, and I get—I do get emails like this a lot. People tell me that, that the, the books have mattered to them or that it helped them when they were doing something. Um, but very rarely do I get an email from someone who says something like, your book helped me as I swam around all of Great Britain. And that was the email that I got from the one and only Ross Edgley, an extreme adventurer, superhuman, ultra marathoner, uh, British David Goggins. Uh, he holds multiple world records, but he's best known for that thing I was just telling you about, the world's longest staged sea swim. In 2018, he was the first person to swim all 1,792 miles all the way around Great Britain, and he did it in 157 days. He would swim with the tide, get out, get in the boat, uh, sleep, get right back in the water, and he swam all the way around the island of Great Britain. It was the performance of the year by the World Open Water Swimming Association, 
And as we get into in this interview, just an insane feat of human endurance, literally like his tongue fell out from the salt water. He talks about cracking the ice to get off his wetsuit to get in the water. I mean, it's just unreal. And he's documented, he talks, he's written a bunch of great books, The World's Fittest Book, The Art of Resilience, which were both number one Sunday Times bestsellers, been translated in a bunch of language, a bunch of languages. But seriously, I had so much fun talking to this dude. I think there's no way you could do a physical feat like that and not be an upbeat, exciting, uh, optimistic person, right? When you when you watch some of David Goggins stuff, it's a little dark, like it's coming from a dark place. I don't know him, I'm not judging. I'm just saying there's a little bit of like, I'm gonna kick your ass kind of a thing. And Ross is more like, come on, man, you can do it. Let's have fun. Uh, that was the vibe I, I got anyways. I loved talking to him on this really fun interview. I think you're really gonna like it. Check out his book, The World's Fittest Book, The Art of Resilience. Look out for some crazy stunts to come, I'm sure. You can follow him at rossedgley.com and you can follow him at Ross Edgley on all platforms. That's R-O-S-S-E-D-G-L-E-Y. Enjoy this interview with seriously, the peerless, the only, Ross Edgley. Well, I wanted to start uh, at sort of a difficult moment. So let's start with, you're in the middle of one of your feats of endurance, right? Whether you're 500 miles into a swim or you're, you know, 10 miles into a marathon, how do you, how does someone push past you specifically? You know, your, your neck's reacting to the wetsuit, your tongue is dissolved from the salt. When you're in one of those rock bottom moments, how does someone push through that? Because it's not like it's not like you have to do it, right? It, you know, uh, you're not like in the middle of some uh, epic feat of survival that if you don't make it through, you'll die. Like you chose to do this. So how how do you push through these moments? I, I'm I'm uh, I, I I can't wrap my head around it. Do you know what, Rob? I love what you just said there because. You're one of the very few people who sort of address that where I think a motivating factor was I was the idiot who said I was going to do this, you know, whatever it sure. was, whether I said, you know, I'm going to swim around Great Britain, I'm going to uh, climb a uh, rope the height of Everest. So I think there was an element of my ego just being there like, <laughs> if you if you, <laughs> if you pack this in, yeah. everyone will say, well, you said you'd do it. No one had a gun to your head. So I think there was definitely an element of that. However, and, and this is how I, you know, this is a, a few years ago now when I came by you, your work, Stoicism, you introduced me to it um, with the Obstacles Way. And it, it, it was all of these things that I just found that sports science um, no longer had the answers. And what I meant by that was take swimming, for example. Swimming as a sport exists in, in a pool, you know, the, the sure. control pools, it's, it's, the parameters are very easily set. But what I found is when I'm swimming and my, my tongue's falling off, I've got a jellyfish on my face, you know, I'm in an Arctic storm, you know, I'm just going, well, you know, sports science can only get me so far now. And, and that's where I think stoicism helped me so much. Um, just looking at, you know, controlling the controllables, accepting the uncontrollables, uh, Marcus Aurelius and all of his teachings, they, they resonated with me so much with that. Um, and I just found and I'm not just saying, with the Daily Stoic, Between Tides, as a team, we all read it. And sometimes, honestly, Ryan, like, I remember in Scotland, and um, we got caught in an Arctic storm, and then the tide changes every six hours. So if there's sort of Great Britain, tide changes, so you swim when it's with you, you stop when it's against you, and you rest. And we, it didn't matter if it was two o'clock in the morning or two o'clock in the afternoon, you got in the water. And, and sometimes I had to just crack the wetsuit because it was frozen. I had to, I had to crack wow. it before I could put it on to get in. And there was some times where we just picked up Daily Stoic and we were just like, anything in there that is going to get us through <laughs> this next tide. You know? And so that was, that was basically it. There was no one mechanism to keep getting in the water. There was a few. Well, I love that so much, obviously, and that's that's not at all what I would have thought about as I was writing the book, that that would be the environment in which it's being read, because that's insane. Uh, but but it strikes me that, like, physically, uh, there's sort of one element to what you do. But I've got to imagine at a certain point, your body's like, this is not possible anymore. You must stop. You You cannot keep going. And you have you managed to find 
probably on hundreds of days over the course of that swim, the, the mental and spiritual fortitude to be like, you're wrong. You can keep going. Yeah. And again, I love that you said that because so often people think that fatigue is just a physical thing, you know, but, but, but only now we're sort of really appreciating that it's an interaction between your psychology and your physiology. It was, it was Tim Noakes who came up with the, the central governor theory where he said that fatigue is an emotionally driven state that we basically use to pull the physiological handbrake. And what he meant by that was, is say me and you right now, Ryan, we went, went and ran a marathon. We were like, yeah, let's go run a marathon. And we got to 18 miles. All of a sudden you'd get this biological feedback. You'd be carb depleted, overheating, or you'd be cold depending on the way you are. You'd be dehydrated, electrolytes, just all of these things, heart rate too high. So you'd get all of this biological feedback to the brain and the brain's this hypochondriac that's just trying to keep you safe. Right. And so the brain's going, whoa, no, 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 no. We're 18 miles in. You need to stop or slow down. You, know, you hit the wall. You know, all of a sudden your brain's going, this is a terrible idea. Stop, turn back, you know, go and get a takeaway and go home and run a bubble bath. Is <laughs> what it's trying to tell you. And it's only now that Tim Noakes says that, you know, we have to override that. We have to understand that, no, no, no. Okay, noted all of those biological signals, but we're safe. We're, we're okay. And a lot of people now sort of said, you know, central governor kind of infers that there's this thing inside of your brain. So they prefer the psychobiological model of fatigue. It's essentially the same thing. And what I love as well is dating back to, to the Marcus Aurelius, you know, when he was talking about that same interaction as well, you know, when he, he was talking about, you know, quitting and endurance. And um, it was amazing that they weren't aware of central governor theory, psychological, uh, psychobiological model of fatigue. But it's the same thing. And I think in that moment, when that happens at that 18 mile mark of a marathon, if you're doing hill sprints, even if you're doing like jujitsu and some guys like kneeling on your neck and you're just like, I just want to give up. I'm not in pain as such, but it's uncomfortable. You have to stoically and objectively void of emotional sort of, you know, decisions go, actually, Am I really in pain? Am I about to, you know, die? All of these things with people, I can't go on, my legs are going to fall off. But are they? Are your legs going to fall off? <laughs> my lungs are going to explode. Mm, let me stop you there. <laughs> are they going to explode? And it's a real art and, and, and you have to practice it time and again. And then the more you push the body, the more you start to realize that you can override that central governor theory, that innate sort of desire for self-preservation. And I think after the, the Great British Swim, for instance, um, 157 days, 100, 780 miles, tongue falling off, hypothermia, all sorts. And so now it's funny because even when I swim now and people go, Ross, like your lips are blue, like Ross, your tongue, like parts of it are falling off. I'll go, oh no, no, this is nothing. <laughs> you can push beyond that. <laughs> Do you remember when you first realized that? Like when you sort of first realized that the body's a bit of a liar or that, that fatigue isn't, uh, isn't as true as it might feel? Like was that something you came to later, like in these feats, or was that something you maybe figured out early on in life? Or did you cultivate it? That's a, that's a good point. I think it was a combination of things. There were certainly moments where um, it kind of stood out, but... Quite often it was just when I was training um, at Loughborough University and even before that, reading a lot of sports science journals, you know, they will say, you know, you can't train every single day. You need a rest yeah. day. Uh, don't train over 45 minutes because all of a sudden you go catabolic and your cortisol stress hormones go through there. All of these things. And I was like, mm, no, no, I, that's not strictly true. And again, a, a friend of mine, uh, Jeff Capes, a two-time former world's strongest man, um, way back in the day, before sports science was kind of a little bit restrictive, telling you what you can and can't do, he was just like shifting hay bales, working in you know the fields all day, and then would go and perform these Herculean feats of strength. And that, that, that sports science would go, well, that's not possible. And and I know you do get these outliers, but I, I think like so often, society, sports science, everything, they they just sort of make these rules and you just go, but it, it just doesn't apply to everyone. And when you've come out the other side of swims, the great British swim is a great example. People said, you just can't do it. You can't swim that length for 157 days. 
and, and it's not pleasant. I don't recommend <laughs> it. But since coming back, I was like, no, you can. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's sort of like you said this earlier, but it, it, this is true for like sort of people who give advice. This is true for your parents. Everyone in the world wants to keep you safe. That's their main thing. They just don't want you to die or hurt yourself, which is great. Um, but that if you listen to that all the time, uh, you leave a lot on the table. That, that is such a good way of putting it because it doesn't come from a bad place when people put in these restrictions on you. Um, and, and then, I mean, my favorite story um, was, and it really did inspire my own swim, but Captain Webb. Um, so for those of you people who don't know, um, 1875, um, people said you cannot swim across the English Channel from, from, from uh, England to France. They were like, it can't be done. It's, you know, 21 miles, but they were like, the water's too cold. Tides are too strong. It, it, it just simply cannot be done. Um, but Captain Webb, and this is the part I love, um, he, he sort of dropped out of the Navy, started training full time and, um, on a diet of beef broth and brandy, um, <laughs> he swum breaststroke all the way across because front crawl was ungentlemanly like at the time. <laughs> <laughs> so his brother and his cousin were just feeding him beef broth and he just crushed it. And he did it in, I believe it was like 26 hours that the current record might be below six, but, but it was just the way he did it. Same with Roger Bannister. People said, can't run under a four-minute mile. Can't be done. Kipchoge recently, two-hour marathon. People were like, it just can't be done. Um, leading physicians, really intelligent people were just like, you, just, you can't do it. And then as soon as Roger Bannister did it, what I also love is collectively, all of a sudden, everyone started to run under the four-minute mile. And, and it was just that once the floodgates were open. So sometimes you're absolutely right, Ryan. I think people just want to keep you safe or, or they're giving you advice based on their own parameters. Um, but, but it takes a really sort of strong willed person just to be like, no. And based on central governor theory, psychological, psychobiological model of fatigue, you go, I think I can push beyond it. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking about this now. So the book that I'm working on is about self-discipline and temperance, right? So courage is obviously a virtue for the Stoics. It's sort of uh, doing the thing that people say you can't do, that it's impossible to do. It, that, that's a scary thing, and, and that requires a certain amount of stoicism. But then there's also this sort of virtue of moderation or temperance or knowing one's limits, right? And so it's a, th those two things are in tension with each other. So like if you're the, you, you're pushing through, your tongue is dissolved, you're, you're, you're having to crack the ice in your, uh, your wetsuit, et cetera, how, how, how given your determination, your willingness to push through to sort of treat the body as, as somewhat deceitful or lazy, how do you not just hurt yourself all the time? You know what I mean? Like when your knee is feeling a little off or you feel tight here or there, how do you, how do you know what warning signs to listen to and which ones to blow off? Yeah. I, do you know what? Cause I, a, a lot of people can sort of take my advice and it's like a pendulum that it swings too far. And yeah, and I'm absolutely, I'm like, no, 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 no. Do not like kill yourself off. <laughs> like barefoot running is a great example. I'm a huge advocate of that, but you know, I'm like, build it up. So you see yeah. people throw their shoes away and then just go, I'm like, no, <laughs> don't do that. Um, so to answer your question, one of the best mechanisms that I've always found, and I, I call it almost outsourcing common sense, certainly on the swim, there was times when your cognitive functioning, because you're tired, sleep deprived, cold, you have the cognitive functioning of like a five-year-old. Sure. You, you understand one arm in front of the other and eat, that's it. And certainly with, with uh, Captain Matt, who was the captain of the, the whole swim, I, I would be looking at him and just being like, if I'm not making much sense, if I'm going backwards, um, you know, there, there was sometimes, I remember I was so sleep deprived, um, I was swimming at night and I was sighting off this light off the boat and I must've just lost concentration for a split second. And then all of a sudden thought that the light on the boat was the moon. So I just started swimming like back the other way and they're sure. going, Ross, what are you, that's not the boat, that's the moon. And, and they were like, you're, you're, you're not thinking quite right now, Ross. And, and, and I think when you trust the team around you or the advice, that's, that can be really empowering because you can push yourself knowing that there's that safety net. You know, you go, I'm going to take this as far as I can. So maybe the discipline is to have coaches or support staff or advisors. Like I was thinking about this the other day with perfectionism, often creators are really perfectionists. And so you can get trapped like, and so you need to have editors or 
uh, collaborators who are like, no, this is good enough. We need to move on, right? You need, so, so if you're like, I don't have the willpower to, 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 to check myself or to take myself out of the game or to rest, you need to, before you start, build a support team that you've outsourced some of the decision to, and then you have to have the strength to be like, I am going to defer to your decision here. hundred percent. Yeah. And I think this is as a sports science example, this is going to sound weird, but to do a full VO2 test, so your lung capacity on, on a treadmill at Loughborough university, we do this. And, um, I'm actually, I'm in there in a few weeks. I'll send you a video, Ryan. I mean, it's, yeah. it's hilarious, but equally terrifying. And you get hooked up into basically like a horse harness and they just go like, you go, until you are dribbling and just kind of like yeah. held like you know, like a puppet. Um, so we've got that coming up and it's, it's exactly what you said. Make sure the infrastructure around you, the people, the infrastructure, everything can protect you so you can solely focus on overriding that psychobiological model of fatigue if it's physical. Or I love what you said there, creatively, just, just go nuts knowing that people are going to edit it later. And yeah, that's a, that's a really good way of putting it actually, yeah. So how, so, so there's this, obviously you're sort of pushing the body. You're in the middle of the the ocean at night. You can't see anything. How do you prevent the mind from sort of spiraling out of control? Like what, what just touched my foot? You know, uh, what if I, what if I get taken out by a weight? How do you, how do you keep sort of fear in check? Or are you just so physically exhausted that the mind can't think about anything? Yeah. You you have to check yourself, especially when swimming, because swimming for that length of time, especially when you're at night. So we worked out, obviously I swam six hours on, six hours, on, six hours off um, for what was essentially five months. So we, doing the math very quickly, I, I spent two months in complete darkness counting right. the night swims. You're but so much more vulnerable than you would be running an ultra marathon or any other feat of endurance. You're like literally, uh, it's like climbing Everest or something. Like you could just get killed in a second. Is exactly it. Yeah. And, 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 but also doing it kind of blind. So if yeah. you get killed, you won't even know about it. Like something will just come and yeah. take you out. Um, and I think you're, you're absolutely right in the left unchecked, your mind will go to a million places. What, what was that that touched my face? You know, is it a jellyfish? You know, it just, you, and you can't do that. It's like, um, yeah, I always think like your mind, it's almost like this like horse, this wild horse. If you tame it, it's so powerful. If not, it will just run riot and, and you will not know what to do. And there was always various mechanisms that you could use, or, or I certainly did, but never one. Because I think a lot of people will go, what one trick did you use? And, and I was like, no, think of it more like the TV channel. And, and every swim you'd get in, and some days you'd have a, a, a thought, you know, uh, something like a quote, a teaching that would be really powerful and potent, and that could get you through. Um, I, I always talk about, you know, swimming with a smile and the science of a smile, because there was times when just camaraderie and just, you know, and, and again, this is backed by studies. There was a, there was a great study where they, they showed cyclists cycling to complete exhaustion, these pictures of people either smiling or frowning, but they were so short, it was almost these subliminal cues. So it barely registered on a conscious level. And what they found emphatically was those that were showing these pictures of people smiling were far more uh, resilient to fatigue than those that were showing them, mm. them frowning. So with this, it's kind of proven, you know it, it's like swim with a smile, the science of a smile, but that won't work every time. Sure. And, and there's sometimes where, you know, I've got jellyfish tentacles in my beard. I'm cracking my wetsuit, my tongue's falling off. And, and the team will be like, just smile, Ross. <laughs> I do not want to smile right now. <laughs> so then you might use something else. Uh, I think it was Aristotle when he said, um, you know, if you want to leave society, you need to become a, a god or a beast. And I, and I kind of loved that phrase because... I was just becoming more feral um, as, as the days went on, just hairy, chubby. You know, my girlfriend would come on the boat and be like, why does your wetsuit smell of urine? <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> and I think that was also quite powerful. And I talk about um, stress-induced analgesia. So the way that a, an injured animal will just fight to the death because it's just, it's feral. It's, you know, it's, it's full of fear. It's full of stress. And there was times where, um, that that was actually quite empowering that 
I was in so much pain. I was so exhausted that I just didn't care. Jellyfish were just like slapping me in the face. I was like, I don't care anymore. <laughs> um, and so it was always knowing which one to use. And there was various more as, uh, as well, but you couldn't just stick to one because smiling all the way around wouldn't work and being feral wouldn't work as well. You need to just switch between all of them. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. Opening up to a therapist might feel uncomfortable, exhausting, or exhilarating, but one thing's for certain, if you keep talking or texting with a licensed therapist, you'll gain insights and uncover truths you can only find in therapy. If you want some personal breakthroughs and judgment-free support, you can sign up right now for Talkspace. At Talkspace.com, you sign up online, you get a personalized match with a provider that's right for you, typically within 48 hours. It's incredible incredibly convenient to have virtual sessions with your licensed therapist, and you do it from the comfort of your home. There's no need to commute to appointments, miss time at work, or line up childcare in order to attend sessions. It's mental health care made easy. And to celebrate May, Mental Health Awareness Month, and the power of talking it out in therapy, Talkspace is offering every listener of this podcast 80 bucks off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com slash stoic. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash stoic to get 80 bucks off your first month with code SPACE80. 80 and show your support for the show. That's Talkspace.com slash Stoic code space 80. I'm just about to go into the studio to record my latest audiobook. My wife and I have been listening to audiobooks. We've been listening to audiobooks in the car as a family just to keep our kids off screens because Audible is amazing. And Audible is also the destination for thrilling audio entertainment with highly anticipated new releases and next to listen recommendations to satisfy every type of thriller listener. If you want breathtaking, sinister, and shocking tales that will enthrall you, even brand new and exclusive thrillers from best-selling authors then you want to check out Audible. My wife and I were just raving about this true crime audiobook that we read called Furious Hours. And then I've been raving about this book, Night of the Grizzlies, which I loved. Audio peaks the imagination and it brings thrillers to life. And as an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog. Visit audible.com slash daily stoic or text daily stoic to 500 500. That's audible.com slash daily stoic or text daily stoic to 500 500. How do you how do you manage the pain, right? Like, I'm, it's not just like it was just hard, but like you would have been in constant pain. It, do you, does pain is pain just something that doesn't bother you very much, or are there strategies you've come up with to sort of endure the pain? Yeah, there was so one thing that really resonated with me again in sports science when they talk about adaptive and maladaptive uh, mechanisms for coping with pain, and I think the words that you use, people don't really understand it, but the words, if, you, if you've ever run an ultra marathon or you, know, you listen to some of those people, when they check into those stops um, and their feeding stations with their team, the best ones, I mean, I'm a huge fan of uh, Courtney um, Dogwater. When, when you see her, she's smiling the whole way around. She's amazing. And you see others coming in. Uh, Cameron Haynes as well is another one. He's just there running, going, oh, keep hammering. He's just got a grin on his face. You're like, oh yeah. my God. Um, and I find that fascinating that the, the, the language that they use usually corresponds to being a good runner. It's not, it's not necessarily biomechanics and, and, you know, VO2, lactic threshold. It, it's that mentality. And other runners will come in and go, oh, I can't go on. Uh, I'm dying. My yeah. legs are killing me. You know, using these words, we just didn't tolerate that on the boat. So it was, it was that. And then I think also as well, being so objective, going back to the central governor and psychobiological model of fatigue, that me and Captain Matt would have these meetings before every swim and they were void of emotion. We just needed to communicate what was going on. So I would sure. be like, good morning. He'd be like, good morning. I'd be like, what's the tide doing? He'd be like, Tide's really slow and we're going to get caught in a storm and the water is about five degrees. So we need to watch for hypothermia. How are you feeling? And I'll be like, tongue's falling off. I'm losing fingernails and I haven't slept in 48 hours. And he'd go, so what do you want to do? And I'll go, swim. <laughs> so it was just that. So that's sort of the stoic idea of kind of stripping judgment out of it because the judgment doesn't change the reality of the situation you're so yeah if you come into the station you're like it's terrible out there i feel terrible i don't know if i can go on all of that is coloring the situation that you're in um and, and, and it's not making it worse but it's not making it better 
right? It's not making it more likely you'll be able to do this really hard thing. Yeah, is exactly it. And I think we we did that. Um, we started doing that almost just organically, naturally. But then, like you said, later learned that, yeah, it's your judgment of it that will make it so much like worse. So it, it, it very quickly became, um, we just don't have any room for complaining or just anything. Because, and, and again, it was to your point that um, no one was holding a gun to my head. So if I wanted to complain, I was also... A lot of people said this when they were like, Ross, it was amazing watching the whole thing. You know, you didn't cry once, you know, and everything. I was like, mm, yeah, I wanted to, <laughs> but I just knew it wouldn't help. And, sure. and, and objectively looking at my day, I swim for 12 hours. I eat and do rehab for the rest. And what's left, I just try and sleep to try and recover. Um, so I was like crying in that 24 hour sort of period. I, I don't have time. Um, so it was also that as well, yeah, that just... Well, I think about that with Marcus Aurelius. So Marcus Aurelius, uh, we, we get some sense that he's a bit of an athlete, but he also is just racked by pain most of his life. He has some sort of like a stomach condition. Uh, it's just, he, he doesn't, he, he's, he, something's wrong with his body. We don't have that much insight about it, but it is interesting that meditations like his, his private diary and there's no real complaining about it. There's no like, oh, this sucks. Oh, this hurts. He's just sort of like, uh, there's this one part where he says like, look, the pain will either stop uh, on its own or you'll die, in which case the pain will also stop, right? <laughs> which, I, which I thought was just sort of like the perfect stoic encapsulation of it. In your case, it's like, look, either you'll get to the end of the race and the pain will stop, or you'll quit the race and the pain will stop. It's sort of day to day, your call. That is exactly it, is exactly it. And it was also as well in your head, just um, quitting was just a non-negotiable. So it was just when people said, did you ever think about quitting? I was like, no, 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 that was, that never, we never discussed that. That wasn't just, it just wasn't um, ever part of our vocabulary. And so even again, going back to that safety net, but I did know I, the words I quit wouldn't come out of my mouth but I could be carried out on a stretcher sure. against my will, you know, yes. and, and, and there was that element as well, I think, which is related to the pain. It's just going, how much are you going to endure? And I'm just sort of sitting there going, well, I'll be taken out on a stretcher against my will. So that's my threshold. I, I don't know if the, there's a British equivalent, but what I've read about the Navy SEALs, for instance, like in, in Hell Week, the, the sort of the training thing, is that there's a bell there that you can ring at any time to quit. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's sort of always there. Uh, and it, it it's sort of and, and that they, they actually the trainers are sort of they're trying to get you to ring the bell. Like they, they're like, it's right there. You can leave at any time. We'd like you to leave. You know, like you can have a warm shower and a blanket right now, anytime you want. And so I imagine it's like uh, they say, like to win a game of chicken, you know, like two things crashing into each other. You have to rip the steering wheel out. Right. You have to go like it's that's the only way the other person will know that you're not you're not going to call it. Right. And so I imagine that's probably a decent strategy. You're sort of saying to the coach at the beginning, I'm 100 percent not going to quit. I'll die before I quit. You're mm -hmm. going to have to call it in for me, because if you have the option to quit, if that's a, if that's one of the things you can do, you'll probably do it. You're so right. And I think all of these survival stories, Shackleton, I love like Shackleton's story and what he did when they and managed to get from the, the ice shelf all the way to Elephant Island and then walked across Elephant Island. People don't know that like... And then he went back. He gets oh, the civilization and then he goes back and he gets everyone else. It's insane. This is what I mean. And, yeah. and, and leading, I mean, the whole exploration, the heroic age of Antarctic exploration during that period, everything was pioneering anyway. But mm -hmm. so... You had world-class navigators, sailors, explorers. But then what they did was just like unfathomable, like sleep-deprived, like, you know, a, a year on the ice shelf. And I love what you said at the start there, which was just like, but they had no choice. Yeah. So survival is just a motivating factor. So if you can almost replicate those conditions safely, that is a huge motivating factor. And, and again, it goes back to stoicism when you know, just live in poverty, you know, you'll realize what's the worst that can happen. And I, and I think it's that element of, you know, get hungry. Too many people are just kind of 
life's good, they're comfortable. And it's like, no, that's why I, I continue doing my ice showers, my ice baths. I run barefoot. People look at me nuts. I'm running through the woods barefoot. And they're like, dude, you've got money, get shoes. <laughs> <laughs> because you'll get, you'll just get, you know, it's satiated. You'll just, it's just, yeah, you'll be comfortable. So I think that's a really interesting trick inspired by Shackleton that try and replicate the same motivating factor that sheer survival will give you. And that's in anything. You know, even if you are just like creating a business for the first time, you're writing an album, you're a musician, you're writing your first book, do it like your family are not going to, you know, eat for a year unless you finish that book. Right. Yeah. I, I, I remember thinking that when I started my first book, which it was like, like, so how do you know you can do something you've never done before? Right. That's, that's the tricky question, right? So like you're either delusional uh, and that's not a good place to be, or you have some sense of what it takes to do things. So I remember going into it going like, well, I, I've, I've done training. Uh, I, you know, I, I have the education, I have the idea, I have the motivation, but most of all, I know I don't quit things. So I, I had this sense that I had no idea what it was going to be like, how long it was going to take, how it's going to go, but I knew I didn't quit things. So I would, I, I was confident I could at least get to the other side. I wasn't confident that it would be good, but I knew I could get to the other side because I, it was more likely that I would finish than, than I would quit. Mm, mm. Oh, I, I, I love that you said that because similarly, when you know what you're capable of, just go like, these are my strengths. This is what I'm playing with. And, you know, and, and that was, you know, again, almost controlling the controllables that in, in those six hour swims where the tide was with me, I was just like, or, or swimming 12 hours a day. I was like, I'm going to swim 12 hours a day because that's when the tide's with me. Yeah. It doesn't matter if I've got jellyfish in my face, waves, tides, you know, it doesn't matter. But that's when that's my period to swim. So if every single day I can just swim 12 hours, eventually you will get around Great Britain. And it was, it was just breaking it down like that, like exactly what you just said there, which was just, um, you know, how do you know it's possible when you've never done it before? When you, when you break it down, you go... It is a math, at a certain point, it's just a math equation, right? Like, it's like, hey, a certain, like with books, it's like, okay, how many pages is a book? How many pages are you doing a day? Eventually you'll get to the end if you don't stop. If you stop, of course, you, you won't get there. But if you don't quit, eventually you'll get there. You could have the worst time in the whole world, but if you don't quit, you'll get there. It's, it's definitely, I, I know what you said, because it does, it really does just boil down to maths. It's maths and logic. When, when I said I was going to climb a, a rope, so it was a 20 meter rope, repeatedly the height of Everest, 8,848 meters. I remember I told my dad, and my dad is so like stoic and objective. And I remember he just immediately pulled out a calculator and then just worked out. And he just said, you need to climb a 20 meter rope. And I can't remember what he said. It was like every minute on the minute, you know, for, for 20 hours with a 20 second break in between. And he just broke it all down. And I was like, 20 seconds. I could eat between that 20 seconds and go to the toilet if I needed to. Cool. <laughs> I'm done. Yeah. Where's my rope? <laughs> well, in meditations, Marcus says, you know, you assemble your life action by action. No one can stop you from that. Meaning, you know, no one can stop you from doing the 20 meter rope, right? Like the whole thing, something could happen that prevents you from doing the entire thing, right? The rope could break or what, but, but the point is like, you have the power to go, okay, I'm going to climb it one more time. Okay. I'm going to climb it one more time. And if you just focus on breaking it down to the smallest component piece, and you just go like, I just have to do this 8,000 times or whatever it is, then, then it really just does become a bit of a math equation. Yeah. And, and I like what you said though. When you just go, I just need to do this 8,000 times or whatever it is. And people always laugh, but maybe it's being so naive or, or a very simple man. I'm very simple. I just like look at things. And when I, when people are like, well, I'm just like, but if you keep putting one arm in front of the other, you will swim to your destination. And then they're like, but, but sharks, jellyfish. I'm like, mm, yeah, no, that's an uncontrollable. But what I can control is this. <laughs> well, I read about Churchill once that someone was saying, like, how, do, how could Churchill have known in 39 that all this stuff could happen that would lead to Britain, like, winning the Second World War? Right. Mm -hmm. And they were like, it was impossible. You couldn't have known. But that wasn't what he was thinking about. He was thinking, look, let's get as many people back from Dunkirk as possible. And then he was like, let's just 
get through the Battle of Britain. He's like, let's just bring America into the war. You know, and so he was just thinking about it. it. He just had this sense if he could hold on long enough to do this, then he could hold on long enough to do that. Then he could hold on long enough to do that. And and he had it, it's impossible to know. Right. Like you, you don't know that you're going to make it all the way to here because so much lies in the future that's uncertain, that depends on these other things. But if you're just focusing on, hey, I'm supposed to swim for 12 hours today. I just swam for an hour. So now I have 11 left. You know, and then, you know, I've just swum six hours. Now I'm halfway through, you know, if you're just if you're just breaking it down into increasingly smaller chunks, it's like driving a car at night. You just driving as far as the headlights show in front of you. But then that then the headlights move. And that's how you that's how you travel a far distance. A hundred. And I, I I mean, that's what I coach so many times when I'm coaching swimming as well. It, 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 one of my biggest sort of frustrations is um, when people start all of a sudden, they start um, looking at the outcome. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the worst thing you can do if you're clock watching or looking at the horizon. And so as soon I don't entertain any questions about that, if, if people are going, how long's left or anything, I'll go, you don't, if you focus on the process, the outcome becomes inevitable. But if you're solely focused on the outcome, then you're not focusing on the process. Yeah. And so that's one thing that I've always found, whether it's running, swimming, cycling, it's like, just focus on putting one arm in front of the other as efficiently as possible. If you're running that beautiful biomechanics, four foot striking, because if you do that, and also as well, whether it's psychological, spiritual, you know, when you get into that flow state, as it's called, if you just get in that, all of a sudden you look up and go, oh my God, I've just covered like 50 miles, you know, swimming or whatever it is. And, um, I think slightly related to that, and I talk about that in my book, and it was it was such a cool story, but the Stockdale paradox. Yes. And with Admiral Stockdale, and it, he just sort of said, prisoner of war, Vietnam, he could point out those people who just wouldn't make it. Yeah, the optimists. Like, oh, exactly right. Yeah, he was just like the optimists. And, and, and I found that so often that it's just like that, that Stockdale paradox. You know, you absolutely need hope. You need hope. You need to hold on to hope. But equally, you have to face up to your current reality. And for me, in all sport that resonated so much because you cannot keep going, Oh, this will be over soon. We'll be in a warm bubble bath and oh, it's going to be amazing. Cause that warm bubble bath didn't come for 157 days for me. Yeah. <laughs> so no, you, you think like, what Stockdale had was this, he had this uh, profound belief that he would survive, but then no real day to day, like sense of when that would be or how he needed things to be. So it's like, I'm going to get out. I'm going to turn this into the something that I'm better for having experienced, but today's going to fucking suck. You know, that, 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 that was sort of the vibe I, I, in my understanding of it. It was exactly that. It was the same. And I think the media on, on a lot of my swims, the media always press me. Of course they do, you know, for an answer saying, when are you going to finish? What's the target? And, um, if you then don't meet that target, we, we uh, for the Great British Swim, for instance, a lot of people said 100 days because it just had a nice yeah. ring to it. But I was like, you don't know. Like the ocean sure. have completely other ideas. So when we didn't make it 100 days, a lot of people were like, oh, you know, sorry. I was like, why are you sorry? I was like, it's fine. This is just going to take as, as long as it takes. And um, that just getting real ph- philosophical about it, we were like, doesn't matter. Well, When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the job. In fact, we were just hiring for Daily Stoke and we found our new podcast editor on LinkedIn Jobs because LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. Over 2.5 small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring like we do, as I was just saying, because LinkedIn isn't just a job board. It helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours, sometimes even faster than that. You can hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash stoic. That's linkedin.com slash stoic to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. I talk about that in Growth Hacker Marketing. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. 
NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com stoic. That's netsuite.com stoic. And you can see what he means about optimist. So if you're like a hundred days, that's what I'm trying to do. Then, you know, at day 90, you're like, it's almost over. Right. And then you get to a hundred, you're not done. And then if someone could have told you, Hey Ross, you've got another 50% to go. You would have killed yourself. Like there's no, like, you know, that would crush you. Right. So you have to be able to almost operate in this kind of, um, suspended, you know, animation where you're not, you're not, there's no expectation, no goal. You're just like doing it day to day. That's how I find with the book. Like, um, I'm, I'm doing this four book series. So like, I kind of have a sense of when I need to hit stuff, but like, I'm trying not to measure myself on how the last one went. Cause if I did, I'd, I'd have woken up today and been like, I'm already a month late. But really, all of this is fucking made up. None, n- none of the bent, like, you know, it, all that matters is eventually I hit the mark and I can move that out if I have to. So I, you have to, it's like, you have to zoom way in and deliberately tune out or else it'll break your heart uh, because the stuff adds up. And now, now you feel like you're failing when really the, by the same token, you could be like, I can't believe I'm, I've swum a hundred days and I I'm still going, you know, like th- the story you tell yourself could be despairing or inspiring. That is, I love that. The story that you tell yourself, like in your own head, that internal environment. And that that's again, like when you are swimming, like especially ocean swimming, I've always found, cause it just amplifies everything. You are this world of sensory deprivation and anything in your head you are like, certainly for me, I was like, oh, Ross, you know, my, I had this beard, you know, that it was just ungroomed. It had like just tentacles and seaweed in. But in my head, I was like, I bet this looks like Poseidon. I bet I look amazing. And in reality, I look back at pictures. I was like, you looked awful. <laughs> I remember I was, I started at 90 kilos. I finished at like 108. And I was like, oh, it's because I was big and strong. It's like, no, you're just fat. Like, Because you're eating like 15,000 calories a day, weren't you? <laughs> I was honestly, but in my head, again, I was just like, "This is this is like Captain Webb. You, this yeah. is a noble cause." But like looking back, I'm like, "You looked horrendous, Ross." <laughs> so, so your introduction to stoicism was from my books, or how how did you end up hearing about it? I'm, I'm like, there's obviously athletes that I've known that have sort of read this stuff, but you, you know, like I've read the, some of the things you've written. You're you're like you're like hardcore into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so I've been into it for a while, but it was specifically the uh, Daily Stoic that um, was recommended to me because I knew we didn't know how long we'd have between tides. Yeah. You know, so to, to, to get stuck into a proper book and everything like that, it would have been kind of hard to follow a cool story. Whereas someone was just like, oh, Daily Stoic. And I was just like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes, like I said, picking tentacles out of my face, cracking a wetsuit, I'd just go flip through. Yeah, that'll get me in the water. So it was just finding that one thing. Um, and then, like I said, certainly in you know, my book, The Art of Resilience, it was just trying to fuse the two because this idea of stoic sports science, I found, um, you know, I called it kind of like sports science forged in battle yeah. because sports science will only get you so far. Stoic sports science is for what you need, you know, when, when, the shit hits the fan for want of a bet. <laughs> well, that's what I love about the Stoics, right? It's like, uh, it, it, it's like sports science is great, but it's sort of for from and for the laboratory, right? And I think most of philosophy is like sort of from and for the classroom. And what I think I like about the Stoics is, yeah, Marcus Aurelius is racked by pain. Epictetus endures 30 years of slavery. Stockdale's in a POW camp. You're like, oh, this, this is, uh, it's not just like tested, but it came from someone with real experiences and uh, like uh, it, it came from the real world as opposed to just from someone's brain. You could still be right just coming from your brain, but it means something else if like this person has done stuff. 
Yes, it's just it's just a practical application, not theoretical, not like let's sit here and, you know, start talking about it. No, like you were in the trenches and you went, hey, this sort of method mechanism helped me. You know, you're you're absolutely right. And and that's what I needed. You know, I didn't need some abstract you know, philosophical. I was like, that's not, that's not going to help me right now. I've not slept in, you know, three days I'm freezing, but I've not got a tongue left. (laughs) It's like, come on guys. (laughs) Yeah. It's weird that they can't do something about the tongue. Have you thought about like, you think that there's, I I don't know. That seemed, I was, that was the most surprised. I was like, oh yeah, I guess your tongue just can't be in salt water for 150 days without consequences. It's going bad right now, but it was, um, one of the things that I found helped was, um, was coconut oil. So, oh. so it just like swilling it around and then it almost forms a barrier. It coats so, it. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't make it bulletproof or yeah. salt waterproof, but it certainly helped. And, and I think again, that, that goes back to the, the whole concept of, of my book with the idea that resilience, and I say resilience is just suffering strategically managed. And you know, what I mean by that was just a lot of people go, Oh, you know, your tongue's falling off. Oh, you know, man up, uh, you know, grit your teeth and get through it. It's like, no, you won't end up with a tongue at the end of it, you know? So yeah. no, sort it out now. Again, if we were running a marathon and Ryan, you turned to me, and was like, Ross, I got a pebble in my shoe. Resilience wouldn't be me going, oh, run and grind it into the ground. You'd be like, no, well, let's stop and take the pebble out your shoe, Ryan. And then let's continue. It's, and that's one thing that I found that, you know, void of a lot of that man up dogma and, you know, no. So I, I'm writing about Queen Elizabeth uh, a little bit in, in this book. And, uh, you know, people are like, how does she stand there all day or what? You know, how she and she's like, no, no, there's a, a specific way that you stand and shoes that you she's like she has strategies. Wow. You know what I wow. mean? She like or she's met like four million people in her life. Right. Like she shook hands with four million people, but she has like a system. She'll only talk to each person for four seconds. Like it's she has like a system and you're like, oh, yeah, it's work, work smarter, not harder. Like there, it's not just brute force. So I like your idea of sort of strategic suffering. Um, You're not just like, oh, I don't feel it. You're like, if I don't have to feel it, I want to figure out how not to feel it. Yeah, 100%. And I think that was a misconception, especially of a lot of my past athletic adventures that people go, oh my God, you know, oh, you're a beast. And I'm like, no, I mean, I don't like pain. I'm not <laughs> like, I'm not, if I can help it, I don't want to lose my tongue. Um, uh, yeah, it's exactly that. Yeah. So when you hear about like someone like David Goggins or these other people, do you guys have like a sense of competition with each other or do you have a sense of like, or is it more just like, oh yeah, that guy's been through the desert like I have. Like, what's your what? Like, wh- when you hear about other people who pulled off these insane feats, does it trigger a competitive part of you, or does it trigger like a uh, an empathetic part of you? Oh, uh, I think definitely empathetic. I mean, I think I I find him fascinating because again, I'm um, I'm sort of like you know the science of a smile, mm-hmm. and um, whereas he's just it seems you know, like, darker for him. It's a little bit darker, yeah. and, and uh, you know it would be amazing to go for a run with him because I'd just be there like you know suffering strategically managed, David, and just be like shut the fuck up. <laughs> but but that sort of goes back to what I was saying at the start that that no. Uh, mechanism is is the best way. It's it's find whatever in that moment is the most powerful and potent to get you through it. Um, he he seems to swear a lot, but but it works. Like you cannot argue with the results. Um, but it would be really interesting to go. You know, subliminal cues. People smiling or frowning. <laughs> be like, punch in the but, and 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 that's what I'm thinking. That I'm but but I'm actually. Because again, you know, you can't smile all the time. And um, friends of mine in the military, it is amazing to sort of use what what they have uh, uh, as well. So yeah, I, I, I could I could be more Goggins when I look at Cameron Haynes. I'm like, you know, just that like proper work ethic and discipline. Um, and and I and I I'd, I'd love to pick up on on everything that that idea of just kind of. Uh, being a chameleon and going, well, how, what, what did you use? Because I'll, I'll try that. Sure. So, you might see a video of me just like cussing, <laughs> like running, you know, and you're like, oh, it's working. I, uh, 
there was a book published here in the U.S. a couple of years ago that I actually did some of the marketing for called Resilience by uh, Eric Greitens, who was a Navy SEAL uh, and then uh, and then a politician. But what I thought was interesting about it, you, you wouldn't be super familiar with the story, but he ends up becoming the governor of the state of Missouri, where and then he has uh, an affair and he sort of sexually assaults this woman. Then he he gets he gets impeached from office. Now he's running for Senate. He's uh, 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 well, he's like sort of embraced Trumpism and and uh, a, a bunch of other gross stuff. But but what I found interesting about his his case is how someone can be very self disciplined, very driven in one aspect of their life, mm-hmm. and then a complete mess in another part. Right. So it's like we could talk about resilience. Like, hey, I blew out my knee and I bounced back. Right. And then that same person could be like, well, and then I screwed up publicly and it made me a worse human being. Do you know what I mean? And I think it's interesting that we so often just think of resilience like athletically or just physically. But, you know, endurance is also, you know, uh, I think there's a spiritual element to it and and that it, it applies to like being a good person also. Do you know what I mean? Mm, yeah, but I, but I like what you said there about it being so specific as well. Because I I I mean I'm very sort of sports centric. That's where I come from. That's sure. what I had studied. But I get inspiration from everywhere, and I was hearing stories of Prince just like staying awake for just like days, you know. And then that, one of my favorite stories, he would just turn up at like a jazz or a blues club or wherever it was, and then he'd just be like. Oh, I just I, I just need to try some material. Can I play? And th- this club would just be like, oh my God, of course you can play your Prince. And he'd just be up there, just rock out. And people would be like, what is going on? This is amazing. And it was just that endurance, resilience, discipline that he just like plowed. And, and they were saying that producers just couldn't keep up with him. He was just dropping right. them like flies. And uh, I hear stories like that. I had sim- similar stories with Jay-Z as well, just going into the studio and just like, and I'm like, that is amazing. And so, yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. It's really interesting that um, friends of mine, uh, Dan Hardy as well, um, UFC fighter commentator, um, and just an amazing human. And when me and him, I'll do a little bit of sort of jujitsu and he'll cradle me like a baby and submit me. He's amazing. And he's like, oh, Russell's so resilient. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I would do another lap of Great Britain before I get in a cage and fight yeah. another human. And well, it's, so like, it's-, it's like with courage, right? You'll have someone who could be uh, a war hero, and then they get elected to public office or they, whatever, and they, you find they can't they can't bear the the thought of losing an election or being criticized, right? So I think one of the things I think we should take from your stuff too is, is that like the inspir it's it shouldn't just be applied to physical feats. Is I guess what I'm saying. Resilience has to be bouncing back from trauma. It has to be bouncing back from bankruptcy, pushing through when your business fails. Like it, it, it and, and that you want to sort of be well-rounded with this stuff. It's, it's obviously when you're a professional at a specific thing, you're sort of deliberately unbalanced, right? But like the idea should be, I think for the rest of us, how do you incorporate this physically, mentally, spiritually, as opposed to like, Hey, yeah, I'm training for a marathon, but but I'm the rest of my life is a complete undisciplined mess. Yeah, you're you're right. You're you're so right. And it's once you've applied those principles, it is really interesting how it can apply to everything else. I think that's one thing that I found. And you can get just like motivating factors as well. I think that's one of the biggest things that it's it's quite easy when swimming because you have one goal. You don't really have a lot of um, outside. Uh, input as well, any distractions, you just sure. know what you're doing, but you're, you're right, yeah, that it's got much broader applications, I think, and um, it, it, it doesn't necessarily matter what the goal is, the principles are always the same. You know, Ralph Waldo Emerson, teach a man principles, he can create his own methods, and, and it's so true with this. No, that's right, that's right. So what are you doing next? What's the next, uh, I know that's probably an annoying question because you're like, uh, I'm recovering is what I'm doing. But what, what are you thinking about doing that? <laughs> no, no, so I think th- this gets really interesting as well, like talking about kind of motivating factors. Because for me, and, and I almost want to ask you the same question and bounce some ideas off, but 
looking at Maslow's hierarchy, it really resonated with me. And, and there's that idea of, you know, your physiological needs, sleep, food, and then you've got your uh, sort of family, friends, you've got um, sort of prestige, feelings of accomplishment. And for me, that that's kind of where I'm at already now. I, I, I don't feel I want to do anything now for uh, records, accomplishments. Like it, it's nice, it, it's, but, but it, there's nothing, you don't feel you have anything to prove. Yeah. It, and it would just feel a bit weird. Uh, so to, to have set the world's longest sea swim and then beat it again. And then right. be like, oh, everyone will go, sure. all right, mate. <laughs> Plus, you know how terrible that is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it, would, it would just feel a bit weird. Sure. So, um, I, I, so I think where I'm at with that Maslow's hierarchy, I think probably, and this is why I wanted to ask you as well, it's almost that. Uh, you know, philanthropy, self-actualization. Uh, and that's kind of where I'm at now in that um, I, I love sort of competing. I love, you know, athletic adventures and stuff, but now it's much broader. It, it just, it needs to give back. And I think similarly to, to pose you the same question, because I'll just be interested in your response with, there was a time where, don't get me wrong, I think awards and you've got many of them for your books it was great when you were a first time author but now are you like oh new york times bestseller list again <laughs> well yeah there's there's definitely diminishing returns to accomplishments it's sort of if you've never done anything then you do something like oh this is nice it also sort of is a little anticlimactic also i'm sure you, you finish the swim and you're like i did it and then you're just like now i'm a regular person again right um have you read the book, The Second Mountain by David Brooks? No. However, uh, Chris Hemsworth, I was recently out in Australia. Yeah. He was talking about that exact concept because yeah. of this conversation. Yeah. I, I think you would like that book. It's really good. Uh, and so one of the reasons I, I opened this bookstore was the idea. It's like I've done a lot of things that were mostly just for me and mostly solo things like it was like it only depended on me and whether I showed up and the decision to like do something physical in person for which the majority of the benefits would be like the community or the town that I live in was like a really fun, interesting challenge that I took a lot of uh, meaning out of in a way that I hadn't on other projects. And so and it, it also shaped the goals. It was like I'm doing this thing that if I succeed, it will probably not even register financially. Do you know what I mean? And like that, 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 that success is just at a different sort of lower, it's harder, but then the rewards for succeeding are lower. Right. But, but that the, the idea that it was a different kind of mountain to climb was really interesting to me. Mm. And so for maybe for you, the, the next thing is like either uh, one, how do you help other people achieve things, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like, so coaching could be it or, or, you know, some sort of collaborative, uh, mm -hmm. adventure or thing. Um, and then, but, or the other part would be maybe it's not the physical feat. It's what the physical feat accomplishes. So like, uh, Eric Burns, he was a professional baseball player. Um, I've had him on the podcast before he did a thing where he ran biked and swam across the United States. Um, but he did it to raise money for physical education for kids. Right. So I, he's already been to the top of the physical mountain as a, as one of the great baseball players of his time, this, when he was pushing through, you know, mile 1000, he wasn't thinking, you know, what is this for me? He was thinking, what is this doing you know, you know what I mean? Like, what is this doing for other people? So maybe that's how to think about it. But I think you'd like the second mountain. It, do you know what? It's exactly that. And I think, because one thing that resonated with me was that concept of um, your ikigai, the Japanese term, um, where it's just that idea of uh, it originated on an island where there's more people living over 100 winners in the world. Yeah. And it's been studied where people just go, it is your reason for being. That's what your ikigai is. It's your sense of purpose, why you get up in the morning. And, and what I love is it's uh, made up of those four things. So what you love, what you're good at, um, what you can be paid for, but what the world needs. And I think it's that one right now that you're so right, Ryan, that I'm sort of sitting there going, you know, I do love doing crazy stuff. <laughs> I'm, I'm semi-good at it. I can be paid for it in a weird way, I suppose, roundabout way with books and stuff. But 
but is it what the world needs? So it's sure. that fourth one now. So whatever I do in the future, it, it will have that aspect. I love that. Well, I'm excited to see what it is. And uh, if you ever make it out this way, let's go for a run. I, mean, I would love that. Do you swim as well? I do. I do. I, the pandemic screwed up my swimming. I, I haven't I haven't swum as much as I, as I liked, but uh, I, it is one of my favorite things. Amazing. Right. Done. And then like the food out there is amazing as well. So like, it's, let's, it's let's, not bad. Oh, like an eating competition. Let's just go somewhere. <laughs> I, I, I think you might beat me in both those things, but uh, I'm, ha- I'm happy to do it. <laughs> All right. You're a legend, mate. Thank you so much, brother. My new book, Courage is Calling, is now officially a New York Times bestseller. Thank you so much to everyone who supported the book. It, it was literally and figuratively overwhelming. We signed almost 10,000 copies of the book, which just, you know, it, it hit me right here. And I appreciate it so much. If you haven't picked up a copy or you want to pick up a signed copy as a gift, please do. You can get your copy at dailystoic.com slash courage is calling, or you can just go to store.dailystoic.com. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to The Daily Stoic early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen early and ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Guy Raz's How I Built This is a podcast where each week he talks to the founders behind the world's biggest companies to learn the real stories of how they built them. In each episode, you hear these entrepreneurs really go into their story. And Guy is an incredible interviewer. He doesn't just dance around the surface. He has real questions because he himself is an entrepreneur. He's built this huge show and this huge company. In a recent episode, they talked to the founder of Liquid Death, that crazy water company that's become this billion dollar brand. Follow the show on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to How I Built This Early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. And for a deep dive in daily business content, listen to Wondery V destination for business podcasts with shows like How I Built This, Business Wars, The Best One Yet, Business Movers, and many more. Wondery means business. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f- best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto I Live My Life a Quarter Mile at a Time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.